Um, I don't know about you guys, but I've always been really close to my dad. And it's why over the past couple of weeks, I've really got this itch in me to start grilling. My dad's really good at grilling. And I don't mean like, hey, just tossing some burgers on and in two minutes you got some burgers. I'm talking about like slow smoking and slow cooking racks of ribs and, and huge steaks. And I've started to get into this and I've impressed myself a little bit because as you know, I'm a huge fan of Jack's Pizza and McDonald's. So as I get into like these really good tasting meats, it just... It feels good after a long 27 years of eating junk, <laughs> but it feels good. But it's just one of those things where I, I love my dad. I appreciate my dad. And so I think inherently, I just want to like the things that my dad likes. It's just part of our relationship. This is why I got into hunting when I was in middle school. My dad is a big hunter. He's hunted pretty much all his life. And so in sixth grade, I got the opportunity to go hunting with my dad for the very first time. And I went hunting from 6th grade through about 10th grade, and every single year, no joke, I saw one deer in, those, in all those years. And I never shot a deer. It was like the worst experience of my life. At the same time, I loved it because every Friday, Saturday, and Sunday morning through deer season, I got to wake up at 4 a.m. with my dad, put on my camo, and go sit out in the woods until about lunchtime. Then after lunch, we'd go back out. And there is nothing quite like sitting out in the woods even if you don't see any deer, (laughs) but sitting out the woods and just listening to the trees, listening to the squirrels, it's just good to be in nature. And I got to do it with my dad, and I love it. But there was one time that I got really, really close to getting my first deer. I was in about ninth grade. I think it might have been my last year or the second to my last year hunting. But I'm in my stand. I am ready to go. It has been like two or three years since I started hunting. Never saw a deer yet. Besides when we're in the truck, you know, on the way back to our camper to go get lunch. That's when you see all the deer. It's really frustrating. Um, But I'm sitting in my deer stand, and I am ready to go. My gun is in hand. I am peering through the trees, through the leaves. I am just waiting for that deer to come. A few hours pass by, still nothing. And all of a sudden, I hear crunch, crunch, crunch. If you hunt, you know that sound, right? You start to get a little bit excited. I start to think, okay, I think a deer is coming. I can hear it, but I can't see it. And I hear crunch, 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 and it's coming closer and closer. And I hear more crunch, crunch. And all of a sudden, it feels like it is directly beneath my stand, but I don't move. This whole time, I haven't moved at all. And all of a sudden, I start to hear those crunches, the crunch, 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 go farther away, but I don't move. And then even farther away into the taller grass, but I still don't move. And I'm trying to make this a little bit suspenseful, but the reason why I didn't move is because I had fallen asleep. <laughs> and you know those moments where you're aware of your surroundings, but you're still asleep? Like you, have every, you know everything that's going on, but you can hear yourself snoring almost? It was one of those moments where it's like, I know there is a deer right below me, but I'm sleeping, and it was my one opportunity. And so what I did... I realized I was sleeping and I popped right back up and I was like, geez, there's a deer. And so I grabbed my gun and I saw broadside of a deer about 40 yards away. As soon as I lifted my rifle, I saw a white bushy tail fly off into the tall grass. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. So I fired just to, just to make sure, <laughs> just to say that I could actually shoot my gun because in the three years that I'd already been hunting, I had never actually shot the gun at an animal, which is really frustrating. But I got a text from my dad like two minutes after I shot saying, was that you? And I almost wanted to say no, because <laughs> I failed. <laughs> I completely missed my opportunity to shoot a deer for the very first time. But it was disappointing, very disappointing. This is a funny story when it comes to hunting. 
But I think that this is a tragic story when it comes to the series that we're in, talking about the gospel. Because in my opinion, I think the vast majority of Christians in the world today, and maybe even here in our church or even here in our county, while we should have non-Christian family and friends and coworkers lined up in our sights to share the gospel with, I sadly think that many of us are falling asleep when we're supposed to be doing our job as Christians that Jesus gave us in Matthew chapter 28, to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in his name. And what that means is I think we, you know, we get so caught up in, well, what's the definition of discipleship and, and what does it mean to really disciple people and what is God really calling us to, but literally just what it means, let, let's break it down and make it very, very simple. Share Jesus with people, teach them the faith, and then teach them to do that to somebody else. And that's really our call as Christians. That's why many of you are sitting here today is because somebody shared Jesus with you, they've discipled you, and now it's your opportunity to go out. And it's my opportunity to go out. And so I want to challenge us in this today, that we cannot fall asleep while missing out on our job as Christians to go and make disciples. So I want to take us to Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26, we're going to go into the Garden of Gethsemane. And this is a powerful story. It's an emotional story. But this is a powerful story, and if you're not familiar with it, Jesus is about to be arrested and crucified. And he's in his very last moments with his disciples. And what he chooses to do is he chooses, because he senses the moment that the, you know, tensions are high, he's about to be arrested. So he chooses to go off in prayer. But he's going to bring his disciples with him. And in, in Matthew, it doesn't talk about how stressed Jesus was. But in other gospels, it does. In this moment where Jesus is so stressed, he's actually sweating blood because he knows that what's coming is his death. And it's not just being put to death. It's a brutal, bloody death. And so here's how the story goes. Matthew chapter 26, 36 to 46. It says, Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And he took Peter, James, and John along with him and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and he prayed, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. And then he returned to his disciples and he found them sleeping. He said, couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and he prayed, be done. Now the cup is death. And when he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. And so he left them and he went away once more and he prayed the third time saying the same exact thing. My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away, unless I drink it, may your will be done. And then he returned to the disciples and said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come and the son of man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. 
Now, this is a story, we can sum it up like this. Essentially, like I said, Jesus is about to be arrested. In the, in the coming verses, just after the verses that we just read, Jesus actually is arrested. So he's about to get arrested and put to death on a cross. And he's in this emotional state because he knows exactly what's coming. He knows that tensions are high. The Romans and the Jewish people, they do not like him. The religious Pharisees, they do not like him. They want him put to death. And he knows that's coming. And so he's so stressed that he needs to go be alone with God, but he calls Peter. Peter, James, and John, his three closest disciples, to come with him to watch and to pray over him. Watch to see if anybody's coming and then to pray over him in a situation because he's so fearful, he's so dreadful, and he's just scared. But what happens is those three disciples, they keep on falling asleep. And so on one hand, you have Jesus, and we've been talking about the gospel, right? What is the gospel? It's the fact that Jesus died for our sins, and he's, he's about to take on this spiritual battle. And he's in this moment of dread. And then on the other hand, you have these disciples who are supposed to be praying and watching over Jesus, protecting him in this moment. Yet they keep on sleeping. It's this tragic picture that we have. And it's this emotional picture that we have of, of, why, of what in the world are the disciples thinking. But as, we, as we've been talking about the gospel, I think that this story and this picture and this story that we're getting of Jesus going off to, to do the event of our salvation, to die on the cross and resurrect, I think it's a powerful picture of us today. That while we are not the ones who do the work of salvation, we are the ones who are called to be with Jesus, alongside Jesus, to be praying with Jesus to be doing the work of the spiritual side while Jesus does the work of the cross. We are the ones who share the gospel. We are the ones who, who share Jesus with our friends. We're the ones who pray with our friends, pray over our friends, pray, pray before we go into Walburn and ask Jesus, is there one person that I can talk to today about you? This is our job, but yet what we see the disciples doing and what I fear many of us, and myself included, are doing is we are falling asleep at the wheel of our job. And so I wanna challenge us in this today. And I want to look at what this story truly means and what God really wants to do with us in our relationship with him. Because I think oftentimes when we, when we think about our relationship with Jesus, to us it just means, well, I just spend time with Jesus every morning. And this is, this is good, right? I'm not knocking on anybody who's doing this. But what it means is we, we spend some time with Jesus every morning in prayer. Maybe we read the Bible. We come to church once a week. And it's just us and it's Jesus. And that's a really good thing. You need that personal relationship. That's what it's all about. But like Pastor Bill has said about a million times, is that personal is never private. While you do have a personal relationship with Jesus, that does not mean it's a private faith that you don't share with anybody. Our faith is more than just something that we do in the mornings as we sit with Jesus before we go off to work, before we go to school. Our faith is about sharing Jesus with our friends, being a light in this world that what we obviously see so clearly right now is a very dark and depressed and anxious and fearful world that we are called to be the light in. So what do we do with this, right? We've been, we've been talking about the gospel, talking about the death and the resurrection talking about what this all means for our faith. And now today we're going to be talking about our desire to go share that. But, but what do we do with this? How do we do this? I think that we have to understand truly what the gospel 
fully means. And I think that we have to intersect it with our own personal story, our own personal experience with the gospel. We have to understand the theology behind it, what the Bible says is actually happening in in the gospel when it happens. And then we have to intersect that with how have we personally been changed by it? Because I think that there's, there's kind of two ends of the spectrum when it comes to our passion to share the gospel. Many of us have amazing stories of how God has rescued us from, from drugs or pornography, whatever it is. We have amazing stories of freedom from captivity where Jesus has totally changed our lives. And then some of us are sitting here, we're excited because of, of what the Bible says the gospel truly is, the, kind of the biblical truth behind it. But I think that when those two things kind of intersect, when we understand the truth and when we understand our own personal story, that's when our desire can become what what Pastor Bill talked about last week, almost the gospel dynamite. It explodes. It gets us excited. We get passionate about it. So what is the gospel all about? What is Jesus truly doing? And I think that this is important as we look at the Garden of Gethsemane. Why is Jesus so stressed out to the point of He's sweating blood. He's crying out to God, God, if there's another way, please take this. I cannot do it on my own strength. And this is, this is Jesus' emotional prayer, but, but what is really happening in this story? Jesus is going to the cross for more than just our own personal forgiveness. And while that is amazing in and of itself, Jesus is going more than just for our own personal forgiveness. The death of Jesus is not simply just a transaction where it's Jesus died, now we're forgiven. But what Jesus is actually battling on the cross is he's going against good and evil. He's going against Satan and God, right? It's it's God prevailing over the curse of sin, the curse of Satan in our world. And so what we see Jesus taking on is not just a brutal physical death, but it's a brutal spiritual battle where he is being attacked by Satan, by sin, and he has to defeat sin, But not only that, we read in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, it says, He who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. And when I read this verse, I think, amen, right? This is good news. We become the righteousness of God because of what Jesus has done. But there's also the flip side, right? We're we're kind of the recipients of this, but there's also Jesus who is doing this. He is becoming sin, Every single sin that you have committed and I have committed and every sin that the rest of the world has committed, Jesus is now guilty of. And what is the punishment of that sin? It's death. It is God's wrath, according to the book of Isaiah, God's wrath poured out on Jesus. And so Jesus is facing a brutal physical death. He's facing a brutal spiritual battle. And he's also about to be facing the brutal wrath of God. It's no wonder why Jesus is so stressed out. It's no wonder why Jesus, it says, he says, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. And then he fell on his face to the ground and he prayed, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. As I read that, you know, I can just feel the emotion and the fear and the despair that Jesus has. And as we're painting this picture of what the gospel has truly done and how Jesus is feeling about how he's in such despair, the way I read this is that this is more than just Jesus praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. This is a battle at the Garden of Gethsemane. 
as Jesus is about to go up against the wrath of God, he's about to go up against Satan himself and sin itself, and then he's about to go up against the Roman soldiers who are about to crucify him on a cross. Jesus is entering into a battle, and it's one of despair. It's one of fear, and this is why he needs to pray. This is what I love about Jesus, too. As he says, God, if there's another way, may this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. We see Jesus running to prayer when he's fearful, when he's in despair, when he's, when he's scared. What I love about this is it shows that Jesus is a man of prayer, that when the inevitable is coming, even when it doesn't look good, oftentimes what we do is we run or we shut down, but what does Jesus do? He goes to the Father and he asks for strength. It's the reason why when, when Peter cuts off the Roman soldier's ear after, we didn't read this, but it's right after this story, Peter cuts off the Roman soldier's ear because he's trying to fight back. He doesn't want Jesus to get arrested, but Jesus says, hey, Peter, you live by the sword, you die by the sword. Put your sword down. Let me get arrested. Why does he have that strength? Because he just spent time with God. You know, we see that the event of salvation happens on the cross, but the battle is won in prayer in Gethsemane. And this is amazing as we see Jesus teaching us some spiritual direction that while we might see something coming in our lives, there might be a, a difficult situation that we're struggling with, you know, that we, we're scared to deal with. Or maybe there's a sin that just keeps coming back at you and it's so difficult. The battle isn't won in the moment where you're trying to defeat that. The battle is won in prayer. Every single morning when you get up asking God for strength, asking God for wisdom, that's when you are going to be prepared for the coming temptation or for the coming situation that you are about to face. And this is what Jesus teaches us. So as Jesus is in this moment, praying with God, crying out to God, what's the role of his disciples? He calls them in to come in with him to watch and to pray. And the picture that we have about what the gospel is and how we get this out into East Central Minnesota is that while God does the work of salvation, while Jesus is the one who paid the price for our sins on the cross and that you and I cannot save or change hearts, he calls us in to enter into the work with him. We are partners with Jesus in the gospel. And we see this because Jesus, many times in the Bible, has gone away to pray. There's many verses in the Bible where it says very early in the morning, Jesus went out, and went out to the mountainside alone to pray with God. Yet what does he do before he's just about to do the event of salvation, before he's about to be crucified and then resurrect? He calls the disciples in with him. He's not going off alone in prayer in secret. He is calling the disciples to enter in with him. And this is our call as well. We need to enter in with God as he is the one who does the action of salvation. We watch over the people. We are the ones who are called to share the gospel with people. This has been happening here at our church. Like I said, we are the ones who don't save people. As a pastor, I, you know, sometimes I just get so egotistical. I think that you know, my message is going to really hit someday and somebody's going to come to Christ. But it's always the Holy Spirit's work. And this has been happening at church. Over the past couple months here at New Hope, we've had four people give their lives to Jesus. And that's not by my work. That's not by my messages or by Bill's messages or, or by John's messages or by anything that we've ever said. It's by the Holy Spirit's power. We're not the ones that change hearts. We're not the ones that change hearts. Jesus does. But he calls each and every one of us, even if we're not pastors, to share the gospel, to be praying over people. 
to be watching over people. And so my challenge for us today is that we would see the Garden of Gethsemane for what it truly is. That it's a time before Jesus is about to enter into to doing the actual gospel, dying for our sins and resurrecting for our freedom. But he calls us to enter into this moment. He calls us to enter into this plan of salvation that he has. And so I want to encourage us to not fall asleep as I did in my deer stand. <laughs> and to miss our opportunity to be the light to share Jesus. Whether it's with a friend or a coworker or even a family member, because I know that we have unsaved people right in our own homes. But this is our call from Jesus. This is our job, and it's not only our job, but it's our desire. Like I said, when we truly understand what the gospel means, and then maybe we even put it together with our own personal story, how can we not share the gospel? How can we not talk about Jesus? It is the best thing that we can do, not only for ourselves, but it is the best way that we can love people. It's the best way that we can love people. And I love what Jesus says as, as the disciples, or as the, as the Roman soldiers and Judas, his betrayer, come to arrest him. The last words that Jesus says in this story are, rise, let's go. And those words don't mean, hey, let's run away. <laughs> those words don't mean, hey, we got to get out of here. I don't want to get arrested because Jesus has just spent this time in prayer with God. He has now been given the strength to overcome his fear of death to now go to the cross for our sins. Jesus is ready. And so he calls his disciples. He says, rise. Let's go. And this is a beautiful moment because it shows us who we are as Christians. That I think a lot of times, especially in America, where we have so many really good things, right? Our economy is good. We have, we have, most of us have jobs. Most of us live in, in nice homes. We have food on our plates. We have good people around us. We are so comfortable. Even if, we're, even if we don't have enough, you know, as much money as we used to have, even if we don't have the things that we used to have, whatever it is, we are so comfortable compared to the rest of the world. We have to be able to admit that. Yet what is Jesus calling his disciples to do? To enter into the work of the gospel with him. Jesus is actually calling his disciples to be arrested with him. This is the opposite of comfort, but Jesus doesn't call us to comfort. The Christian life is not about comfort. It's about crucifying our own desires, our own wants, our own needs, and following Jesus for the sake of other people. When Jesus says, rise, let's go, he's calling each and every one of us to rise with him and enter into the spiritual battle that is saving people. That while we don't save people, we are the ones who share the gospel. We are the ones who pray over, one, over our friends, over our coworkers, and over everybody that we know that doesn't know Jesus. And so the way I see the Garden of Gethsemane is it's Jesus' decision moment where he enters in in fear. He wants to die, but he doesn't want to die. He wants to save his people, but he doesn't want to die the brutal death. But he makes a decision in prayer. And I think that our call today is we need to have our own Gethsemane moment. That we need to make the decision. Are we going to start or are we going to continue to partner with Jesus in the work of the gospel? And here's a very simple way to do it. I've done this a handful of times, and it's one of those prayers that 
You know, it's really frustrating sometimes when God doesn't answer our prayers, but this is the one that I think he'll answer without fail every single time. And it'll be up on the screen here, so if you need to take a picture of it, if you need to write it down, do whatever you need to do. But this is a prayer I want us all to pray before we go to work, before we go to school, before we go to Walmart, before we go home, whatever it is. God, I pray that you would give me an opportunity to talk about you to one person today. Amen. That's our prayer. I have prayed this every time I remember. <laughs> I pray this before I go into Walmart, and I'll never forget the first time I did. I prayed this in my van as I was parking at Walmart. God, give me an opportunity to share with you with one person today. Turned out to be the cashier who already knew Jesus, <laughs> but there was an opportunity to talk about Jesus and to encourage this man. His name is George, who is struggling in his faith, who is struggling with some sickness that was happening in his family. And so even though it wasn't a non-Christian person, it was an opportunity to encourage another believer. And I'm telling you, and I'll be honest, that there is going to be opposition from the enemy when you do this. Satan doesn't want this. In fact, Satan wants to divide us in every way possible. He wants us to be distracted. He wants us to be tempted to never enter into the gospel work with Jesus. He does this through politics. He gets us to hate each other. He does this through smartphones. The average U.S. adult spends two hours a day on, their, on social media alone, on their phones. So if he can't get us to do this, he'll get us to do this. Right? He's going to distract us and tempt us in so many different ways. But our call today is to enter into the Garden of Gethsemane with Jesus. Our call today is to enter into the work of the gospel with Jesus. And as we close today, I want you to be reminded of what Jesus has done for you. I want you to think of what was your life like before you knew Jesus. And what is it like today? Because this is when our gospel desire, our desire to get out the good news to East Central Minnesota and beyond, to our coworkers, to our friends, to our family members. When we think of our own story, how can we not share Jesus? When I think of how I was saved from anxiety and depression and loneliness and, and drugs and alcohol, everything that I was going through as a 17-year-old kid, when I think of my freedom from that, it's like, how can I not stand up here and preach? How can I not pray this prayer so I can go into Walmart ready to share Jesus. So church, be encouraged by what Jesus has done for you. But don't fall asleep like the disciples fell asleep. Enter into the work with Jesus. It's our call. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much, Lord, for everything that you've done in our lives. Lord, as we think about our own stories, the work of the gospel in our own personal lives, Lord, it gives us a desire. How can we not talk about you? How can we not share our faith with other people? And God, I pray that we remember not only our personal stories, but Lord, the biblical truth behind what you truly did for us on the cross, that you went to the cross not only to save us from our sins, but Lord, you defeated sin, hell, and the grave. You bore the wrath of God so that we didn't have to, and that is the ultimate form of mercy. And so we come before you, Lord, as your servants, and we say thank you. And Lord, thank you will never be enough, but Lord, we can devote our lives to your work. We can follow you and we can love you. Teach us to do that. Teach us to have faith. Teach us to be strong in our faith. To not be tempted to fall asleep. Lord, but to be awake, to be watching and to be praying, to be sharing the gospel, to be spreading the good news across East Central Minnesota and beyond. Lord, we pray this in your name. Amen.